This is Digital Health Today, episode 31. The decision makers in traditional healthcare are now starting to move on. And so you have the next generation of decision makers coming through who are much more tech savvy. You know, they understand the importance of technology, but also the benefits of technology. And as that shift to decision maker goes, the old school moves away and the new school come in. I think that's going to help fuel this even further because there is real excitement about it. And it is cool. Healthcare used to be something that everyone had to have, but no one wanted to talk about it. You'd go and see your doctor, you'd be prescribed something. You didn't really care what it was. You just took it because you were told to take it. But I think people are now taking a much more interest and and personal approach to, to their own healthcare. And I think that's what's helping to drive this revolution as well. Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. This episode is brought to you by Bear Grants for Apps and their new Dealmaker program. Bear Grants for Apps is calling all mature teams, startups, and companies that have a solution ready to go. The new Dealmaker program is all about quality FaceTime between you and Bear experts for one full day. Don't wait. Applications are open until June 30th, 2017. Visit grantsforapps.com forward slash Berlin. That's grants, the number four, apps.com forward slash Berlin. Welcome back. This is Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders working to make the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and this is episode 31. As we release this episode, we are days away from the end of the first half of 2017. It's hard to believe. 2018 is right around the corner, which means that the coming months will see companies firming up their plans and goals for the next calendar year. New products, sales teams, R&D projects, acquisitions are all part of the strategies needed to succeed and grow. And no matter what your business is, there's always one common need across all organizations, and that is the need for great people. Today, we cover some of the changes and opportunities for companies and professionals working in the digital health sector. You can get all the show notes from this podcast and access to the materials and links from digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 31. While you're there, please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and join our community. In fact, take a look around some of the new features and designs on the website. We've added some new sections there on the homepage, including a map of the world, and you can now browse and search for podcasts based on the countries where we've already done some interviews. Download any of our resources there on the website or visit digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash join and you'll become a member of our digital health community and join thousands of other digital health innovators around the world who are working to improve and transform health. I also want to give a shout out to all those who are taking time to give feedback on this podcast. It's great to hear all the creative collision that's taking place as a result of the work that we're doing here. Whether it's engaging with our guests, finding new solutions, engaging with our sponsors, or all of the above, it's motivating to know that the work we're doing is making an impact for you. I welcome your feedback and comments. Please do go on the website and take a look at some of the feedback we've already received. And if you'd like to leave some love yourself, you can find the links to do so right there on the website. You can also go to digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash review, and it will give you the instructions on how to do that on iTunes, or you can also do that on your favorite podcast player. Once you've done that, though, do visit the website, fill out the information so that we can make sure we thank you and recognize your feedback that you've given us. I appreciate you taking the time to do that. And as the summer gets in full swing, we are hard at work on the Digital Health Jumpstart. This program is designed to help accelerate projects and startups from innovation to implementation, from research to revenue, as I like to say. Thanks to all the interest and response we've received so far, we're tailoring this program for different groups, such as startups, corporates, universities, and not-for-profits, so that we can make the maximum impact. If you need a better understanding of business models and regulatory requirements, or if you need clinical input, or if you're trying to figure out how to raise money or implement design thinking, we've got you covered with this program. 
Find out more about it by clicking on the links on the website or just going straight to digitalhealthjumpstart.com. We have a world-class team of contributors and instructors with decades of experience to help you accelerate your work in digital health. Get in touch and I can share more about this program and how it can be used in your organization. Okay, now on to our guest. Paul Budd is the co-founder of Salus Digital. He trained as an engineer before moving into the executive recruiting business where he specialized in medtech sales and marketing roles. At Salus Digital, he's focused on engaging talented professionals in the digital health sector through their media platform and providing companies the opportunity to stand out in the increasingly crowded digital health space. He's seen some changes in the way that companies and candidates are interacting, and he's here to give us some tips on things to avoid when seeking to find or fill that next role. He also tells us some of the things that we should be doing in order to be effective using the tools that are available to job seekers and recruiters. Don't forget to pick up all the show notes at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 31. And now here's the interview with Paul Budd. Paul, thanks for joining me. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Dan. Paul, I've shared a little bit of background with our listeners. Can you fill in some blanks and share some insight into your personal journey that got you to where you are today? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, based in, in the UK, so just outside of London, I've been involved in the executive recruitment space for about 16 years now. Um, originally started in more core medical devices and med tech. So we used to do a lot of work with some of the big well-known players in the devices and diagnostic space and grew a business up to become one of the market leaders in the UK and Europe for, for hiring. And then we started to see probably about four or five years ago, we started to hear talk of health tech, e-health, m-health. And I suppose the term now is, is much more localized as, as digital health which was fascinating because I think it was very, very early days back then. And what I saw from a recruiting standpoint is, you know, profiles were starting to change. You know, the, the needs and wants of companies were starting to change as we moved into much more of a digital industry. And so uh, I started to build out a slightly new angle to the business to really become an expert in the changing market of digital health. But more importantly, what key skills are needed now within businesses to be successful in this in this technology space. So just to bring you up to speed, I run a business now called Salus Digital. We're uh, a media property and really online recruiting consultancy all around the digital health space uh, internationally. Myself personally, young kids, and my kids are into horse riding, spend a lot of time outside and where we live, we're really, really lucky. We have uh, lots of green space and green fields. So I like to think I've got a pretty good lifestyle at the moment. You had a successful career in executive recruiting. You were working across a, a lot of different health companies. And actually, that's when you and I first met. I was working in that field, and you contacted me about a few positions and also to, to get some insight about the, the changes that were happening. Um, when did you begin to focus on digital health as, as, a, as a sector, and what made you decide to do that? You're absolutely right. Yeah, we first knew each other from more the traditional med, med device or med tech world. And I probably saw it really starting to take shape in around about 2013, 2014. Um, and the reason for that is I started getting approached by companies who were saying to me, we've got a new product. Um, it's not a traditional device, so it's not like an implantable surgical device. Uh, we're a technology business. And back then, most health tech businesses were really infrastructure businesses. So it wasn't necessarily what we would term now consumer digital health. It was more large scale infrastructure systems into secondary care hospitals, really. Um, and what we found and what I found is these companies were saying, we need someone different. You know, we need someone who really knows healthcare, who knows you know, how to try and drive uh, patient engagement. But we also need someone who understands technology because it's very different selling a piece of technology than selling, you know, a hip or a laparoscopic instrument. 
And those people didn't really exist. So I saw there was a bit of a gap in the market because companies wanted a certain type of people. There were very few types of these people out there anyway, and no one knew how to connect the dots. So that's what got me thinking really about is there is an opportunity now to really focus recruitment solutions on what was becoming digital health. So you saw the opportunity in what has now become digital health. And this was, I agree with you, it was about 2013 that things started to change in the UK market. And certainly things were a little bit further ahead in the US market, probably around 2010, 11. So you and I were speaking the other day about some of the changes that are happening in the digital health space. And that actually was the reason that we thought it would be a good idea to do this podcast. Because obviously, as you're growing businesses, you know, we, I talk a lot here with people who are innovating and, and leading and trying to make change, but it all really revolves around people. So what sort of changes are you seeing from the recruiting front lines about what's happening between job seekers and hiring companies? If I start off with perhaps companies and what we've seen more recently is quite a big evolution. So, you know, a lot of digital health businesses, the very nature of what they do, they start off as tech businesses, R&D. A lot of it is um, is really built from the ground upwards. So we used to see most of the hiring was from a technical and from more an R&D perspective. And what we found recently, probably in the last 18 months or so, we're starting to see a shift with hiring companies now that have built a product. They potentially got some test sites. They've got some customer feedback. They may have then raised some initial early stage investment. And now we're starting to see a lot more hiring going on in what I would call commercial roles. So that could be um, you know, commercial directors, VP of sales, heads of sales, and then also pre-sales. So I think what that demonstrates is it's gone from, you know, very much an early stage technical development industry. We're starting to move into early stage commercialization. And I think hopefully in the next couple of years, we'll see it move into a full scale operational industry on its own accord. Is, is there a trend that you're seeing? I mean, are these med tech companies, are these pharma companies, are these startups, are these uh, funded startups? I mean, wh- where are they and who are these uh, companies that are looking for these types of roles? All three is the actual answer. So you've got a few um, funded startups now who are what I would call pure play digital health companies now that are starting the uh, the hiring uh, trend. Um, but also what we've seen is traditional med tech and big pharma now really looking at digital health as its own business unit, if you like. So a lot of the major players that I'm sure everyone knows have been probably keeping an eye on this market for the last few years from a slight periphery, waiting to see what the market's doing. And I think now they realize there is traction there. They have the funds to invest millions of dollars now to really start to build out their own digital health silo businesses. So what we're now seeing and with what you tend to get with big med tech and, and big pharma companies is they have more the sort of the, the entrepreneurial system where they already have the infrastructure and they want people that are potentially moving within businesses. So we're seeing quite a lot of that in big pharma and big med tech, but also external hiring and bringing real expertise in. And what I've seen in the last year or so is the term head of digital health. You know, lots of pharma companies now have got a, a, a dedicated person called head of digital health. And that's something which we never saw a couple of years ago. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah, they, the pharma industry has been a little bit late coming into the picture here, but they certainly do seem to be embracing it. And certainly, you know, here on this show, we're talking to a lot of pharma companies, yeah. and they have a lot of programs going on. How about yeah. consultancies like Accenture and Deloitte and PwC? Are they are they also putting a big push on this? Yeah, absolutely. In the UK, um, you know, PwC quite recently have been doing quite a lot. What what these the the consultancies are really looking to do, I think, is uh, build out their own accelerator programs initially. It gives them some good learning experience. But I think what we'll see with the big consultancies is them establishing, again, their own digital health units. 
Deloitte's have started to do that um, within health tech specifically. And I think, again, that will start to roll out. It's a little bit like... Um, like the the digital health industry, it started off small small businesses who had pure digital health. As the market evolves, the big guys then get involved, and I think we've seen that with consultancies. So a few years ago, you had some quite small, dedicated digital health consultancies, and now the big guys have seen the market move. They're now coming in on the act, and I see. I think we're going to see that just expand over the next few years. So we're getting a perfect storm here for the recruitment industry, perhaps, and certainly for the digital health sector. So we've definitely got the investment coming into digital health. We've got a lot of great innovations being created all over the world. And we have big companies that are coming in trying to uh, access that market and trying to come up with their own solutions. What about candidates? Where do the candidates stand in this whole picture? And are they coming from traditional health backgrounds or are they coming in from perhaps outside of healthcare? The term perfect storm, I think, is absolutely spot on because from a, a hiring and a people growth perspective, you have to have a number of different elements that all come into play. There needs to be obviously a, a workable product. There needs to be an addressable market and there needs to be funding and a roadmap. And now we're starting to see those things come together. That usually then fuels growth from a hiring perspective. And what we're seeing about candidates, which is really, really interesting, is uh, traditionally in med tech, and, and by med tech, I really mean diagnostics and devices. Uh, it was very traditional product sale. You know, you have a product, it has features and benefits and you sell that. Because technology and digital health is much more about offering solutions, it's a very different way of selling. And so I think candidates now are coming from a number of different sources. You have people that have been involved in traditional med tech because they understand how to sell to uh, healthcare settings, be that clinicians or be that healthcare infrastructure. And people are seeing this as almost the next wave of their career. Technology has always been interesting, I think, and I think healthcare has probably been one of the, the last industries to really capitalize on it. But there's a lot of people now who have you know, sold into healthcare for a number of years and now see this as a really exciting time to join an, an embryonic but fast-growing business. So we are seeing people come across from that traditional sector, but we're also seeing people who have got really interesting backgrounds in more consumer tech because I think digital health in particular uh, and where it's going to really, really grow is, is that consumer element to it. You know, we've started to see it with, um, you know, the wearable market a few years ago starting to explode. We're now starting to see it with the insurer market. And I think we're going to see that adopted by traditional healthcare suppliers. And that that consumer element will attract people from a number of different sectors, because I think it sounds like a bit of a cliche, but I think it's true. You know, if you're someone who's had a wealth experience in a consumer tech industry, it could be anything. You know, it could be FMCG, it could be online e-commerce. If you've got an opportunity to, to now use the skill set you've built in the last five to 10 years and convert that into a business which is providing healthcare solutions, there is a personal satisfaction to that. You know, yes, I'm getting paid. Yes, my career's on the up. Yes, I'm fascinated about what we're doing. But also the, the solutions that we're building out are actually helping people. They're either helping save people's lives, they're helping people manage their own long-term conditions, or they're helping reduce the strain on our healthcare services. And that's what the big pull is for candidates in digital health. Excellent. Yeah, you know, I've said on this program many times and I've said over the past years, and, and I'm sort of pointing my finger at myself here because I'm 20-something years in healthcare and I really think that we need a lot of people from outside healthcare to come in and challenge the way some things are being done. And certainly, they need to have an appreciation of the patient uh, data aspects and the security aspects and the importance of clinical and regulatory vigor in, in developing new products. 
However, we also need new perspectives, new ideas, uh, new expectations, because that really can transform what we're doing. And what we're also seeing, it seems to me, is that digital health is kind of making healthcare cool. So healthcare was always sort of something that you don't want to think about. The, the products were always sort of boring and not really necessarily well-designed. But now, since digital health, the, the line is really blurring into the consumer space, into your mobile phone, into your wearable sensors, into your environmental sensors and, you know, your home units with Alexa and things like that, you know, it's becoming much more ubiquitous. So it's actually becoming much more acceptable and trendy to be thinking about mental health, physical health and, and caring for others. Do you, do you agree? I, I absolutely agree. And I think on that note as well, what we're seeing as well is the decision makers in traditional healthcare are now starting to move on. And so you have the next generation of decision makers coming through who are much more tech savvy, you know, they understand the importance of technology, but also the benefits of technology. And as that shift to decision maker goes and, and you know, the the old school moves away and the new school come in, I think that's going to help fuel this even further because there is real excitement about it. And it is cool. As you said, healthcare used to be something that everyone had to have, but no one wanted to talk about it. You know, you, you'd go and see your doctor, you'd be prescribed something. You didn't really care what it was. You just took it because you were told to take it. But I think people are now taking a much more interest and, and personal approach to, to their own health care. And I think that's what's helping to drive this revolution as well. We'll get right back to the interview in just a minute. But first, I wanted to tell you about our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Bear Grants for Apps. Bear's put together an additional brand new program that I wanted to make sure to tell you all about. The new program is called the Dealmaker Program. This program is aimed at mature teams, startups, and companies that have a solution ready to go. The brand new Dealmaker Program is all about providing quality face time between you and Bear experts for one full day. If there's a match, then you'll be invited to Berlin to pitch your solution, discuss collaboration options, and even close a deal. You have a long way to travel? Don't worry, travel expenses are taken care of. Find out if there's a mutual interest in starting a bigger journey together. Applications for the Dealmaker program are being accepted until the 30th of June, 2017. What are they looking for? There's a list available on their website that includes hemophilia, women's health, ophthalmology, pulmonology, nephrology, artificial intelligence, data analysis, and clinical trials, but they're also open to other solutions that may be a good fit. Sound like this is for you? Applications are open now, and again, the deadline to apply is June 30th, 2017. Get full details on their website at grantsforapps.com forward slash Berlin. That's grants, the number four, apps.com forward slash Berlin. Now let's jump back to the conversation. So now I cringe a little bit when I'm about to ask you this because I've recruited for you know a lot of roles through my career and I've worked with companies that are recruiting for full-time positions and I've seen some of what they've, they've gotten through in terms of job applicants. What are some of the big mistakes that job applicants make when they're going for a new role? From a job seeker perspective, it's a really, really good point because I think there's so many different channels now for a job seeker to try and go down. You know, years ago, you had the executive recruiters. People had someone in their network that they trusted and they would go to them to help them with their job search. But now, you know, you have everything from, you know, specialist platforms, community, social media networks, LinkedIn. So you're almost spoiled for choice. And I think what that sometimes means is that candidates adopt what I would call a spray and pray approach. So they'll perhaps apply to you know lots of different jobs across many, many different platforms. But what that actually does is it perhaps dilutes the search. So I think my recommendation for people in this marketplace uh, is, is two things. You know, one, speak to a specialist. 
because it is a specialist market and you really need someone who understands where the market is right now, but also where the best opportunities are going to be. The other thing I would suggest is really get involved. If you're looking at online, get involved with communities, get involved with people that are talking about digital health, because that's then going to help build your network of people. Um, you know, what we do is, is we put a lot of content out. We do a lot of interviews with thought leaders and people in this sector. And a lot of the jobs that we work with are really within our network and community. So my advice would always be don't adopt the spray and pray because a lot of candidates think that a lot of candidates think, well, the more people I speak to, the more opportunities there'll be. But actually, that's quite counterproductive. So select people that are experts, specialists in the industry. And if you can talk to someone, the problem with online applications, you hit send and it sort of goes onto the abyss and you sit there thinking, will I hear back? If there's an opportunity, if you've got a contact, pick up the phone and speak to someone. And anymore, I know when people do apply online, it's not even going in front of a set of eyeballs first, right? It goes, it's com computer read and filed and prioritized. And what are they searching for? Are these programs looking for keywords? Are they looking for experience? What sort of things are, are they sort of scanning for? And how can, just like when we do website design or anything like that, you talk about search engine optimization, what should candidates do to sort of search optimize their resumes or their CVs to make sure that they're prioritized? Yeah, it's um, it's happening. Technology in the recruitment industry is the same as every other industry. We're seeing a lot of AI coming into recruitment now, which is good. And I can see some benefits. But I think it also means that uh, your, your resume is actually then initially screened by a piece of software. Um, and I think that's always quite dangerous because you get pigeonholed. And I think sometimes, you know, your resume then just gets filed and it may not have the right word mentioned so many times. So you don't actually get in front of the decision maker. In terms of putting a resume together, a lot of people now, a bit like search engine optimization was a few years ago, people think, well, if I repeat the same phrase lots and lots of different times, it will get picked up. But AI is becoming more clever now. So I think the honest answer is be honest, you know, on the resume, you know, put on there what you've done, put on there your achievements. Um, and so where possible, try and speak to someone physically, because you are right. You know, they're called um, ATSs, applicant tracking systems. And what happens is your resume will go on there. It may or may not get flagged by someone. And again, I'm happy for any advice. If any of the listeners out there are interested in how to build a resume properly or what sort of avenues they could go to, I'm, I'm more than happy to have calls and conversations. I know you've generated a lot of material like that already. So we can include links to some of those things on the show notes for this episode. So candidates and recruiters, people who are recruiting for roles can also go because I know you've even written some articles about you know, how you should write a, a job advertisement and the things that should be put in there to really capture that talent. Because since it is a growing market, the companies that are recruiting really need to stand out as well to get the interest of those top candidates that can apply. It's, it's a two-way street. And I think, um, you know, companies need to, to really think about how they're going to hire these best people because, you know, the statistics, it's certainly in the UK, it's around about 75% of people are not looking for a job. So we would class that as a passive audience. So, you know, if you're only targeting those people who are actively looking for jobs, you're missing out on three quarters of the, the, the talent pool, really. So companies have got to be really, really clever to create what we would call an EVP, which is employee value proposition. What is it about our company that makes it really attractive? So putting together just a standard job description of, you know, you will do this, you will do this. People don't want to see that anymore. People want to understand, well, where's the vision? What's the background to the company? Where are these opportunities? And it's not always about money. 
And I think that's what we're seeing now with the millennials and the shift in people now. People want to get engaged. People want to work for a business where they believe in what the company is doing. They believe in the solutions they're building out. So companies need to be really, really quite clever about how they build this whole value proposition. Everyone hears it about, you know, Google, Facebook, Apple, all the big tech companies about how cool it is a place to work there. And not everyone can be like that. But I think we can take some some valuable learnings from those guys. And actually, rather than say, you know, you're going to get paid this much money. Yes, that's important. But what else is there about working for us that, that are going to be interesting? That way you will target the passive audience and ultimately get best people. So certainly using social media like LinkedIn is a, a great way for candidates to sort of show what their experience is and create articles and content to sort of show what their interests are and, and their, their thought leadership, if you will, even if it's not necessarily like, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, sometimes those really new experiences can really shed some great insights as people are, are coming in early in their careers to show what they've learned and what they encountered and how that was different to their expectation or match their expectations. So those sorts of things can be really helpful. But how about using LinkedIn as a recruitment platform? It's obviously, you know, it's obviously massive. It's a, it's a global platform and, you know, it is ultimately a recruitment tool. Yeah, the vast majority of their revenues come from their recruitment solutions. So, you know, it can be interesting if you want to try and target a huge number of people. Where I think it does fall down is when you're in a specialist sector because there's a lot of noise on LinkedIn. There are so many jobs out there and it's, you know, everyone's vying for position on there. So what I found and from a lot of companies that I work with that have used LinkedIn in the past, they may get lots of applications, but they won't always get the right applications. And a lot of these things are based on metrics. So LinkedIn might say, hey, you know, we can get you 23 applications per vacancy. People don't want 23 applications per vacancy. They want one application, but they want the right person. So I think, you know, LinkedIn obviously has its great benefits. It's very successful and it's got a huge audience. But I think sometimes when you're recruiting in a specialist marketplace like digital health, it's quite hard to stand out from the crowd. And also on LinkedIn, again, it, it, a lot of people that apply via LinkedIn are, are active job seekers. These are people that are constantly on there every day looking for a job. It's not always the best way to target that 75% of people or the passive audience. Yeah, that's certainly been my experience as well. And working with companies that have needed full-time positions or full-time engineers or salespeople, and when they've put positions on LinkedIn, they've ended up with so many applications. As you used the phrase earlier, spray and pray, they get so many of those, and they feel obliged to filter through all these things and try to figure out, is this really the, the level of people that we're attracting? Is this the right tool? And, and as you said, they, they want one or two or three candidates from which to choose to compare and contrast about the best people who are suitable for the role, not 23 or even 50 candidates that don't even seem to have read the job spec and don't even seem to have the requisite experience that you're asking for before they apply. You know, LinkedIn are very good at trying to make it as easy as possible for their users because their business is, is built on we need, you know, to grow our user base. So things like, you know, being able to apply with your LinkedIn profile rather than having to put together a purpose built resume that really encourages people just to click happy because you don't even have to upload, you know, a resume. You can just sit and go click, 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 click. And, you know, before you know it, you've applied to 10 different roles. Now, you know, you may or may not be right for those roles, but making it as easy as possible for people doesn't always encourage the best applications for the companies. So that's something to, to be aware of. The other thing with LinkedIn that I've noticed from a lot of research is because it is a global platform, uh, you get a lot of the big recognized global brands on there. So it can be very, very difficult for a smaller SME or even a startup to stand out from the crowd because 
if you look at Facebook, for example, if Facebook are looking for an engineer, they'll get something like a thousand applications because everyone wants to work at Facebook because it's a global brand, so everyone clicks away. You get a smaller startup looking for an engineer, they may get two or three applications because the people don't recognize their brand. So I think, you know, if you are a smaller digital health player or if you're an SME that's got some investment and you're in that growth stage, you've got to think about how am I going to stand out from the crowd on a global platform with 500 million users with all these big company brands on there? It can be difficult, which is why I would always go and speak to an industry specialist. Yep. Absolutely. And people really need to work their network. And even though there's a lot of jobs that are looking for talented people, uh, candidates really need to work finding a job as a job and uh, and get in touch with the people that they're connected to, let them know what they're looking for. And I mean, do you see jobs not being as well advertised sometimes in terms of getting a call and then you or other professionals knowing the people who are looking for the jobs and just making a, a call specifically to those people say, hey, would you be interested in or are, are things still really going the advertisement route? I think the advertisement route is obviously a, a lot more prevalent now. I think there are still some really, really good specialists out there that have a network, certainly for the more senior positions and the more industry relevant positions. I think there is still that network where you will be able to go and speak directly to a person who will really help you through the journey. And ultimately, those executive recruiters have the, the really strong relationships at the top with decision makers. So I think that's my preference would always be in where possible to have those sort of relationships. And what we're seeing as well, which is another interesting point, is that, you know, some of the big global recruitment firms that I'm sure everyone, you know, is aware of, we're seeing them build out their own digital health teams now. So it used to be part of their medical device team or their med tech team. But what we're actually seeing now is a specific digital health business unit with these global exec recruiters. So I think we're going to see that trend grow as well. So that's good to see. So to summarize the advice for candidates, then update your CV and your resume, update your LinkedIn profile, reach out to your network. What else should they be doing? Build your network, join groups that are relative to the industry that you're interested in. And so that could be on LinkedIn, but there's a number of different, you know, social media groups, whether it be through Twitter or through you know, a variety of different sources, but network with people. There's a huge amount of events that go on all over the world. Uh, you know, almost every day there's, there's a number of different digital health events. And a lot of these are free to attend or there's only a small amount of money. You know, go and make yourself visible. Go and talk to people. Go and understand what the needs are. And I think that's really relevant for building up your skill set, your network, but also adding that to your resume. So that would be my advice for someone looking for a job. Start building out your network and actually become visible in this, in this, this community. Yeah, and certainly we've spoken about LinkedIn today, but... I seem to be using Facebook more and more for business. And Facebook's a really interesting place because there are some really interesting groups on there as well. Twitter's a big one. I think Twitter's really quite an underused business tool, to be honest. But from a B2B or an industry perspective, there's a huge amount of information you can find out by following the right sort of people on Twitter. Well, certainly on that note, we should talk about your Twitter following because you've got about 30,000 Twitter followers on your Salus Digital account. So it's Salus, S-A-L-U-S, Salus Digital and you also mentioned earlier that you have a media website as well as a recruitment website. So uh, people can go to Salus Digital and I'll have the links to all this in the show notes to check out some great articles and interviews, written interviews. I know you post some of these podcasts on there as well, which I really appreciate expanding the audience there through your platform and we work to do the same. So people can connect with you on Salus Digital and find some of the thought leaders around the world. Paul, there are six questions I'd like to ask all the guests on the program. Do you have a few more minutes for me? Yeah, of course. Fantastic. Paul, what is a saying, quote, or phrase that motivates you? Blood, sweat, and tears. What advice do you have for people working to innovate in healthcare? 
Uh, my advice would be really understand where your product's going to be used. I think healthcare has a danger of people creating product for creating a product's sake rather than actually seeing where this can be practically used and is there going to be reimbursement for that. What book do you recommend for our listeners? I recommend a couple of really interesting digital health books. The Digital Doctor is a really interesting one. And I think Eric, anything by Eric Topple is interesting. What tech do you use that you wouldn't want to live without? Well, my mobile phone, clearly for communication. Um, but I think Twitter these days, you know, I know you never used to use it for, until a few years ago. But um, as I said, we've got 30,000 followers and I'm probably on it more than any other social platform. If I gave you a check for $5 million for you to invest in health technology today, how would you invest it? I would invest it in consumer-driven technology that helps people monitor long-term conditions. And lastly, we make a contribution to a charity in appreciation of your time on the show. What charity have you selected, and can you tell us a little bit about what they do? Yeah, my charity is Parkinson's UK. They are the UK's largest uh, charity for Parkinson's really care, but also research into trying to find a cure. It's something that I'm personally affected in within the family, and I've done quite a few events for them. Fantastic bunch of guys. So anything we can do to really uh, raise more money to try and find a cure would be brilliant. Yeah, I remember seeing the pictures of you rappelling down a clock tower. Yeah, we did. It was uh, it was an abseil down at Guildford, Guildford Cathedral uh, last June, actually, which was, you know, a little bit scary, um, but good fun. So yeah, anything like that I can try and do to get involved is is good. Paul, before we go, is there anything else you want to say to the listeners? No, just, um, you know, I hope everyone's enjoying the industry. It's growing rapidly. But I say I'm more than happy to have any communication with anyone out there that's either interested in how they structure their hiring as they grow as a business or if there are people out there wanting advice on how to create the best resume or apply for jobs in the industry. My, uh, my door's always open, Dan. There you have it. That was Paul Budd of Salus Digital. Get all the show notes and links to everything we discussed by visiting digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 31. While you're there, take a minute to subscribe to the podcast, and I'd love it if you could leave us a review on iTunes as well. Many thanks to our sponsor, Bear Grants for Apps. They've been with us for several weeks now supporting this program and you, our listeners. Don't forget to apply to their DealMaker program by the 30th of June. You can find all the information on how to do that at grantsforapps.com forward slash Berlin. That's grants, the number four, apps.com forward slash Berlin. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at HealthTechDan and follow the show at dhealthtoday. Thanks again for tuning in and being a part of the digital health community. That's all from me for now. Until next time, keep on innovating.